Well, this morning, uh, we, like I said, are going into a heavy subject. We're in chapter five of 1 Corinthians, and it's a, probably a subject you didn't wake up thinking about this morning, and that is the subject of incest. I don't think we have a problem with this in our church. I'm pretty sure we don't. Um, and for some of you, you're probably hearing this and thinking, well, I'm good. Honestly, Mike, I, I don't have a problem with incest, so I can kind of tune out. But I want to encourage you, don't tune out. Listen up, because I really believe there's some things that God wants to say to us as a church this morning through this situation and through uh, Paul's words to the church. Um, so if you just read with me 1 Corinthians 5, I'm going to go from verse 1 to 13. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who was doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the one who is doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleveled batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, now with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleveled bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning that the people of this world who are immoral are greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. <laughs> so like I said, incest is not generally something that I have to deal with on a week-to-week -week basis in the church. Um, with that being said, I really believe there's a lot for us to pay attention to in what what God wants to say to us this morning through this. Here's the thing, as, as Christians, we, we understand that we live in a fallen world and we can often act um, like, a tiny, like Christians living on a tiny Christian island and we're surrounded by this polluted sea that like just beats up upon our shores every now and then. And we can feel this constant uh, strain and constantly feel torn between being in a world that's corrupted by, by uh, sin and by uh, being a fallen place and actually not being influenced by it. And Jesus calls us to be just that. In John 17, he calls his disciples to be in the world but not part of it. 
In other words, we should not be, we should not be insulated from the world. We should be insulated from the world and moral corruption, but we shouldn't be isolated from the people in it. And I think anyone who follows Jesus can understand what, what it is I'm talking about here. This tug of war that happens inside of ourselves as, we, as we're trying uh, to be in the world and to run away from the th things that the world's influence, but also when trying not to fall into that influence. And what happens as a result of this tension is that we either see Christians kind of go from one extreme to the other. So they'll either be in this extreme Christian bubble that they create, where they have this mindset of, you know, I'm going to look after me and what's mine. And, you know, those guys go to live in the mountains and, and isolate themselves from the world. Or, on the other hand, we see far too many believers who just go with the floor. Who, who don't really care about the lifestyle that's put out towards them in Scripture. You know, in the UK, um, there's this really popular uh, comedy show called The Vicar of Dibley. And in it, it's all about a woman who's leading a church. And she's, she's a vicar, she leads a Church of England church. And uh, in this episode, one episode that happens, um, there's this moment where she meets a man um, who, from the village and she falls like head over heels for him. And she spends a whole weekend uh, sleeping with him uh, in the vicarage, right? Like, and, and having um, sexual relationships with him. And, and all, at the end of this episode, this man kind of goes off her and decides to leave and, and everybody's like, hey ho, let's look after the vicar, right? And look, this, this TV program, it's not made by Christians or for Christians. It's a comedy and it's done very, in a very fun way. There's all these romantic walks that go wrong and there's all different types of things that happen this episode that make it quite funny to watch. But at the same time, the truth is, is that it makes me sad to watch it because actually there's a lot of truth in that episode of how people perceive or experience Christians in their life. Um, and that is that they experience Christians who go to church, who claim to be Christians, and generally, in their hearts, they genuinely believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they genuinely want to follow him. But the truth is, is when week to week, their lives don't really look any different from those around them who are part of the world. And here in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is addressing a member of the church who has done just that. He has slipped way over the edge. He's chosen to ignore the teachings of scripture. And Paul not only rebukes the sin of this man and his, him in his sin, but also he rebukes the church and how tolerant they are towards him as he continues to sin. So, okay, so it's a big subject. So I'm just gonna look at Three things that I've pulled out that I think are really unique to this sin and, and things that we need to be aware of um, for our day to day. So what does this mean for us today? The, the first thing is that this sin that Paul is talking about with this man is well known. Paul says that it's actually reported to him in verse one. It's been, it's been brought to him by somebody. And if you pick up a little bit on Paul's tone here, he's actually disgusted with what he's hearing. And the truth is, is that nobody should hear this kind of report from the church, um, from those who profess that they're following Jesus. 
Yet the troubling part for Paul is no doubt at this point he's thinking, you know, even for the church's reputation, that a new, a new church, right? Like the, its reputation in the Roman Empire. And he's thinking about the, the knock-on effects that this can have, these reports. And the truth is, is that this sin has been broadcast far and wide. It's not a secret sin. It's not, it's not concealed, it's not, cover, it's not being covered up, no one's trying to hide it. It's just, it's just there in the open for everybody to see. And rather it seems that Paul has easily found out what's happened. He's found out what's going on in this church. And we don't know, the truth is we don't know how he found it out. There's a few options. You read in chapter one, Chloe's household, he could have heard it through them. In chapter 16, he talks about some men coming to see him and bringing reports. It could have been through them, or it could have been that this was just such a huge piece of gossip that it just spread throughout the churches and Paul heard it that way. So that's the first thing to say about this sin. It's, it's a well-known sin. Everybody knows about it. The second thing that Paul points out very clearly is this is a, re- a revolting sin. It's disgusting. And he said, now don't hear what I'm not saying here because I want to point this out before I get into this. I'm not saying that this sin is worse than other sins and that's not what Paul is saying either. We all know that sin is sin. It's all bad. It's all, it's all a crime against God. There's not there's some sins more acceptable and some uh, that are less bad. Actually, what he's saying here, he's emphasizing that the, the kind of sin he's talking about here that, that's been reported, even the pagans wouldn't tolerate it. Even those who don't follow Jesus would not accept this as being okay. They would be shocked at the type of sexual immorality that's been tolerated within the church. And that's exactly what Paul's saying that this, this, this sin that's being committed is just terrible. And what is this sin exactly? Well, a member of the church, presumably a young man, we don't know because he doesn't tell us, but presumably a young man, was in, engaged in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And apparently his father is still married to this woman. Uh, since Paul refers to her as a wife and not a widow. So we can take from that that she's still married to his dad. And everyone outside of the church, even inside of the church, and even the culture of the day was, would have said that this is an incestuous relationship. It's, it's not okay. It's really bad. This is essentially a son and a mother having regular sexual relations. And the last thing that I would say about the sin itself is that it, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing sin. To clarify, Paul's not expressing his surprise at this young adolescent who just fell head over heels for his new, young, beautiful mother-in-law, right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, a, a sin that's become a permanent fixture among the church. Paul uses this word, among you. He describes it as being among you. And, that, and what Paul meant by this is that this sin was in the midst of the church. It was right before their eyes. It was right under their noses. In other words, they knew about this relationship and they chose to do nothing about it. It wasn't like they couldn't, they didn't know about it. It was right there. So why is this a big deal today? Well, I think uh, this really sums it well. John White and Ken Blue, they wrote a book, I think back in 1985, and it was called uh, Healing the Wounded. 
the costly love of church discipline. And they said this, they said, unless someone in the church decides to go lovingly to the person involved in the scandal with the object of establishing the truth, effecting righteousness and seeking to bring about reconciliation, every single member in the church who was aware of the situation is sinning every moment, is in fact a a participator in the sin of the identified sinner in one way or another. The church is sinning by avoiding corrective church discipline. <laughs> I don't know if you, you're like me, but I read that and it almost scares me. Uh, and it's a scary reality that John and Ken have, have written about in that book. But I think that's very true. And, what Paul, and I believe that's what Paul is trying to point out here. Every church must deal with sin among its members. And, and, and they're saying that he's saying, therefore, no church should shrink back from their responsibility to confront it. But that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. And Paul challenges that head on. And he says, hey, your, your tolerance of this sin in the church is not right. And, and as you can imagine, that leaves me with some things that I think we should think about and weigh up this morning together. The first thing is, is that we need to take very seriously, uh, we need to take sin very seriously. And, and the truth is, is we can often be uh, misguided or make a misjudgment that actually to, to ignore serious sin is not loving, it is dangerous. So often as a church, we can slip into a mindset of, of people saying things like, well, you know, it's not really my business what they do in their week to week. Or, or you know, it's not, we don't really care about how people live. Actually, what they do is their business. It's between them and God, and it's not my place to judge. You're right, it's not your place to judge. But we're talking about something very different here. We're talking about evident, clear, ongoing sin. And rather than saying, hey, that's between them and God and we're just going to love one another, Paul's words very clearly refute that idea. And I want you to think about this for a second in a way that I think we all understand. Like even this morning, this happened in our house where there was a hot uh, tea on the, on, the, on the worktop in the kitchen and Hannah went to grab it, um, grab hold of this red hot tea just being made. It was super hot. And as a parent, what, like, let's just play that out, that, that mindset. Okay, well, it's not my job to interject. You know, that's a really dangerous thing that she's about to do, but, you know, it's between her and her maker. And, you know, I'm just going to love her by letting, letting her do what she wants to do. No, like, that's absolutely never okay. We, we, we identify the danger and we snatch her out of there right away because we know what's best. We can see what's gonna go wrong. We can see the danger that she's getting herself into. And we don't for a second think about, we, we think about the risk and the injuries and the harm that's gonna cause, not about emotionally hurting her for that, in that moment. We, don't, we worry about that afterwards. To love a person is to act. They are one and the same thing. Now don't hear what I'm not saying here. Um, because the way that we act is incredibly important. You know, if, if in removing her from the tea, I whack her and, you know, bang her head off the floor, that's not helpful. It's no worse than the tea. It's worse than the tea. So w don't jump ahead of me here because we're going to get into that now. But the second thing here is 
confronting serious sin in the church is not optional. It's not an optional thing. It's essential. Now, of course, there's standards and there's guidelines that we need to make sure that we have in place. And I would encourage anybody who finds themselves in a position where they have to confront evident, ongoing sin that is dangerous for them and dangerous for the church, I encourage you to read Matthew 18 very slowly and meditate on it and go over and over it again before you even think of approaching somebody. But lastly, confronting serious sin is absolutely not to be done lightly or without well thought out plan or prayer. It's, it's, it's never to be done in this knee jerk way. It's only to be done in love and accountability. The issue with the subject and why this makes everybody kind of curl up inside and, and really hope that they're not being misheard, even me explaining this to you, I really hope that you hear it in the right way and you hear my heart expressed in this, is because so many people have experienced or seen or, or taken part in these horror stories that we hear that go on in church and where, where, where sin is being called out uh, in the wrong way, at the wrong time and by the wrong person. And I've seen it in my own time in the church, these self-proclaimed Christian bouncers who, who feel like it's their mission to snatch sinners, right, from churches and escort them out the door and rough them up enough so they don't want to come back. Let me say that is absolutely never okay. The purpose of discipline is never ever to humiliate, to infuriate, or to aggravate people who are trapped in a difficult position. The purpose is to urge them to see the error of their ways, to shepherd them back in love into a place of repentance and of fellowship with the other people in the church. I was uh, having supper this week with Bob and Joanne uh, we were having supper with them as a family and they told us this story, um, which never happened in our church, just to clarify, but in church uh, quite a while ago, where if two people who were clearly in love, not married, um, but say they got into a problem um, and they did some things that maybe they shouldn't have done before marriage and they found themselves in a position like she would be pregnant and they would need to get married quickly, what the church would do before they married them was make them get up in front of the entire church and confess their sin to the church. What a horror story. This is exactly what we're not aiming for. We are not aiming for this pretense of self-righteousness where people feel the need to hide their sin because people are just going to catch them out and jump on them and tell them everything that they've done wrong in their lives. No, we're looking for shepherds who lovingly care for those in the church, who, when they see sin, they, they refuse to not act on it. They refuse not to hold that person to account in the same way that they wish to be held to account for what they are actively doing wrong. And, but they choose to deal with it, but in the right way, at the right time, and with the right attitude. We simply cannot get away from the biblical principle that to love people is to call out where we see danger. And I think this is a perfect time to ask us ourselves the question, to do a check on our own lives, to determine and, and, and to think about and to pray about 
where is the sin in our lives? You know, secret sin. It could be gossip, it could be, you know, how we spend our spare time, it could be that habit that we can't kick. It could be a whole wide range of things. But they can potentially, you know, within your own heart, they could potentially grow up or blow up into scandals that will affect the church. Because if, if you know that there's something within you that needs to be dealt with, now is the time to turn away from it, from those sins. Now is the time to repent and to potentially save yourself from the humiliation of God, God correcting you or God's people needing to correct you. This is not an easy subject to talk about. And it so often goes in the face of the people who sell a lot of books because they tell you that everything's okay, God forgives you, and, and that's absolutely accurate, he does. But as his people, as his sons and daughters, we're called to such a higher calling than to get caught in the same old traps, the same old sins. And he has given us the power and, and, and his spirit in order that, that they will be conquered. Not because of what I can do, but because of what he can do. And he's calling you and me today to take seriously sin. To, 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 to be serious about getting rid of it. And, and to take serious, not allowing it to come in and affect our church. Why don't we just finish by praying together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you in your very nature are slow to anger and abundant and steadfast love. But Lord, I just pray for everybody who's watching this this morning. But Lord, they know without a doubt that there is something they need to deal with in their own lives. Lord, would you come and speak to them right now about what they need to deal with? But Lord, as a church, help us to be aware of how poison can slip into the water. And even just a drop can affect everything. Lord, I don't want to drink a, a, a glass of water with one drop of poison in or with 20. And Lord, yet sometimes we allow that poison to drip into the church because we don't want to rock the boat. We want to love people. And Lord, that's exactly what you're calling us to do. But at the same time, sometimes to act and to call out is to love. So Lord, give us the wisdom and the knowledge to know when, when to act, when to speak out, when to call out. And Lord, if we ever find ourselves in a position where we need to do that, would we take seriously your words? would we seriously weigh up our own lives, our own sin, before we even dare approach one of your sons or daughters? Lord, we love you and we thank you that we don't have to do this alone. You're here, you're with us. And Lord, you will build your church. I just pray that as this week goes on, we would weigh up these questions seriously. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.